Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Tonight we continue our Wednesday evening series on attitude. Tonight's sermon is entitled Attitude Construction by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. I want to talk tonight about attitude construction. I want to talk about attitude construction tonight. Before you sit down, I want to tell you a little joke. You know, I like to get started with a little joke. This is probably not funny, but there's an old story about a man who went to, to a doctor for a physical examination. And the examination was concluded, and the doctor said, sit down, I have some good news for you. He said, you're in perfect health. In fact, you have the health of a man half your age. And the man was elated. Thanked the doctor, got up and headed for the door. And when he got near the door, he collapsed and died on the spot. (laughs) And the doctor said to the nurse, quick, turn him around so it looks like he was coming in instead of going out. (laughs) So... If you leave with a bad attitude tonight, we're going to turn you around. (laughs) Like you're still coming in instead of going out. Everybody say, Pastor, Pastor. I'm going to leave here tonight with a great attitude, attitude. with an overcoming heart, heart. and looking at tomorrow, growling. (laughs) You may be seated. You're awesome people. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, guys. I really won't be lengthy tonight, and I trust I'm interesting. One man said it best. He said it's hard to soar with eagles when you have to live with turkeys. Zig Ziglar, one of my favorite people, he passed not long ago, and I used to love to read, and I still do. I read Zig. uh, I've heard him many times. He said, attitude determines altitude. If you want to get someplace in life, you have to have the right attitude. Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp during the war, said the last of human freedoms is to choose the attitude, one's attitude, in any given set of circumstances. That's the last of human freedoms, to choose one's way. I've often said, and I believe this, that our surroundings control many times our soarings. Our surroundings control our soarings. Turkey thinking plus turkey talk equals turkey walk. Whether we like that or not, we quickly blend in to the colors of our surrounding many times. It's very difficult to be a positive in a negative world. It's very difficult to be a plus in a minus situation. It's very difficult to walk into an office when everybody's thinking one way and you come in thinking a totally different way. When everybody's thinking how bad it is and you come in beaming. There's nothing that absolutely tears people up like that. They'll ask you what you've been eating or what you've been drinking. And so we quickly blend into the color of our surroundings as it was in the church of Revelation. Five of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3. Five of them had the attitude of the city that they were in in their church. If you research the churches of of, of Revelation, five of them had to repent or God said, I'm going to come. 
and I'm going to I'm going to remove you from I'm going to take the golden candlesticks away from you. I'm going to take the light out because you've got to repent. But those attitudes were adopted from the city that they were a part of. And it's very easy in a place called Austin, Texas to get weird. I wish we could make up some bumper stickers that said, keep Austin Holy Spirit filled. Because I really believe with all my heart, with all my heart that there is still room for positive people in a negative world. For people that do not believe that Austin has to be so weird, but it can be righteous in the name of the Lord. Amen. There's two ways that attitudes are constructed. Number one is genetics. Everybody say genetics. Similarities in thinking and mannerisms and priorities and talk and opinions are very common within individual cultures. We all know that married people who grow to look more alike as the years pass, they, I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, but married couples, married couples that spend a lot of their life together, they start looking like each other. Some say that people start looking like their dogs and cats. <laughs> a man was at an airport one day to pick up his brother, and he hadn't seen him in many years. In fact, it had been 20 years since he had seen his brother. He had been in, the, in another country. And when he came walking in the terminal, he saw his brother walking and called him by name. And he said, John. And John walked over to him and said, wow, how did you know me? He said, I knew you because you walked just like dad walked. And I knew dad's walk. It's amazing how genetics can prepare us in life for attitudes. My dad was a no-nonsense, don't-quit man. Dad always preached to me, it's always too soon to quit. And then he said something that I still can't figure out. He said, can't never could do anything and then whoop could until he could. <laughs> okay, Dad, I'll ask you about that in heaven. Maybe I'll understand then. The second thing that determines attitude is environment. Everybody say genetics. genetics. And then environment. Attitude is a choice. You choose to have a super attitude or you choose to have a lousy attitude. It's so easy to get down around down people. I've often said this, why in the Sam Hill do you hang out with people that drag you down when you know before they, you ever get to them it's going to be the same old walk, the same old turkey talk, the same old turkey walk, and you can't get your eagle wings spread to fly? Why don't you understand that it's very easy to turn your attention to people who have a positive attitude and a positive energy? I'm going to use that word. It's very important to understand that. There's preachers in my life, there's ministers in my life that I could not hang around because when I left their presence, I wanted to go find the nearest bridge <laughs> or a cold shower just to shower off and feel clean again. David was the anointed king of Israel. Say anointed. anointed. Samuel had already anointed him at Jesse's house. But when, when he went into the cave in 1 Samuel 22 in the cave of Adullam, 
There was 400 men that came and joined themselves to him that were distressed. Everybody say distressed. Everybody say they were in debt. Everybody say they was discontented. And he became like his surroundings. He took on their spirit instead of them taking on the anointed spirit of the sovereign in his life. And in 1 Samuel 27, I still find this hard to believe, he declared, five chapters later, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. So God anointed a failure? No. David let his surroundings affect him more than the sovereign that was living in his life. We ought to be light. We ought to be salt. We ought to be change agents in this world. There should not be anybody that walks out of a church service like we're having right now that has an attitude that wants to gravitate toward the cesspools of life, toward the gutters of life, but we ought to bring people up where we are in our thinking. I'm going to tell you, I want to say this. I don't care how dark the world is. There are still people looking for light and the church of the living God still has light. And there are people that are looking for salt, the change agent, and the church still has salt in it. Amen? I believe that. You know, Job was ill. He was poverty stricken. Everything was taken from him. I love the book of Job. But he refused to listen to the advice of his wife who said, curse God and die. He said, you speak as a foolish woman. I like this. He was the opposite of David. He said, shall we indeed accept good from God and not evil? And in Job 2 and 10, he said that, which comes first. And I want to ask you this. Does the condition come first or the choice? It doesn't matter which comes first. I'm telling you, I don't care what condition you're in. You still can make a choice for the positive things of life. I don't care if you're in early life or late life. You can make a choice of what you want in life. I don't care if things come involuntarily at you or voluntarily at you. You can still make a choice in life. I don't care if others choose for you or you choose for yourself. You can still make the right choice in life. I don't care if people want you to react over something or you initiate something. You can make the right choice in life. As age increases, so does the strength of an attitude. In one of his books, John Killinger described a very busy airport one afternoon. I love this story. It's just so simple. It doesn't have anything deep in it. But people were scurrying to meet their schedules and, and to make flight connections. And tempers were on edge because there was people missing their plane, late for their plane. And suddenly, in the midst of the hustle and bustle, a loud voice erupts exclaiming, Good work, God! Right in the middle of the airport. Good work, God! And people stop turn around, and they see three things. They see an old woman, an old woman, sitting in a wheelchair, looking out the window at a sunset. And she was saying, good work, God. Not a young woman with vitality and energy looking at a sunrise but an older woman in a wheelchair looking at a sunset. Hey, hey, I got, I got a friend in this house. His name is Orville Monroe, and he comes in on a walker when he comes to church, and he never misses. And when he walks in, he's always saying he's praying for me, and I believe it to the top of my head, to the sole of my feet. And I told him, Brother Orville, there's going to be people 
that don't have the attitude that you have that's going to be standing beside your judgment and they wish there's in another line. I love people that do not let handicaps get them down. I love people that do not let brokenness in life get them down. I love people, no matter how old they are, how young they are, do not let things beset them. But they can sit in any situation, look out the window at a sunset and say, good work, God, way to go. I'm still on your team. Come on, people. We need that kind of church in Austin, Texas. You know, it's commonplace. It's commonplace how easily a child of three or four picks up a foreign language when exposed to it without any formal teaching. Yet we're unwilling to admit that a child of the same age picks up our unconscious attitudes and prejudices without even being taught and often retains those longer than any of his formal education. Kids from a complementary background have a greater chance than those from a condemning background. Now, I'm, I want to say some stuff tonight. I'm not trying to be hateful or mean, but I'm going to tell you something. Your kid's not stupid. Your kid is not the dumbest thing you've ever seen on the block. Your kid is a gift from God. That child is a gift from God. And your husband is not a ding-a-ling. And your wife's not a biddy. Come on, let's start using words of affection. Let's start using words of love. People do much better from a complimentary position than they do from a condemning position. Attitudes are caught. Solomon did all that was in David's heart, the Bible said, plus what he was taught. He caught and was taught. Don't demand perfection in others and not in yourselves. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't make your kids vicariously be perfect when you wasn't perfect in your life. Let your kids make mistakes, scuff their knees, and get up and dust their pants off just like you did. Because I promise you, if you keep telling them how great and wonderful God has blessed them with and what a talent they have and what a gift they are, they're going to start believing that after a while. And it's all right. And you say, well, my kid will get cocky. No, he won't. He's got enough pulling him down out there in the world right now. He needs a dad and a mom to say, son, you are awesome. Daughter, you are awesome. You may not like it when I say it, but I got some kids that can sing like nobody's business in this church, and I'm not going to quit talking about it. I've got a wife that's the greatest thing in all the world in my life, and I'm not going to quit talking about it. You need to start talking great things in your home. Come on, start talking great things. There's more cult than ever talk. My grandkids come to me and boom. They know I love them. Joe Theismann wears two Super Bowl rings today. One was a winner of Super Bowl 17. The other was a loser ring in Super Bowl 18. The difference? Attitude about the game and who it revolved around. In 17, it was all about the game and the Redskins. In 18, it was all about Joe. He found fault in everything. He's confessed this and admitted this. He said we'd have won 18 if we'd have had a quarterback with the right attitude. Here's what I want to tell you. Foundational truths about the construction of an attitude is very important. So I'm going to give you five. Number one, a child's formative years are the most important for instilling the right attitude. Say it with me. A child's formative years are the most important for instilling the right attitudes. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. We read that. 
And when he's old, he'll not depart. That does not mean he'll line up just what you want him to do, but he'll never get away from what you trained him. It'll always pull him. Those attitudes become a part of us. Even though they may be wrong, even if our attitudes make us uncomfortable, they're difficult to change. Listen, I'm a self-taught golfer. I've never had a lesson. No formal instruction. I taught myself all wrong how to hit a golf ball. (laughs) Finally, I quit the game because I taught myself so wrong I couldn't hit it past that wall right there. Then I realized I needed an outlet. I picked it back up. So I went to a golf pro here in Austin. I saw him hitting. He was perfect rhythm, so I asked for a lesson. After telling me everything that was wrong with my swing, and it was a list about this long, he tried to break my old habits. He said he would charge me $20 for 30 minutes. He worked for me with me for one hour, then sweating. It was hot, perhaps angry. He shook my hand and walked away and said, Preacher, you don't owe me a thing. I can't fix that swing. That's a fact. And I discovered something that day. It's more difficult to learn something wrong and then unlearn it and relearn it right than it is to learn it right the first time. So why don't you, while you have your kids, moms and dads, while you have your grandkids, grandparents, why don't you put the right attitude in them right now? Why don't you just go ahead? Because it's hard to relearn it after you've learned it the wrong way to put it back in them the right way. So a little later, I met Ben Crenshaw. Anybody know Gentle Ben? Me and Ben are buddies. He don't know that, but we're buddies. I looked at him, and I'm bigger than him. I looked at him, and I have bigger legs. I have more wrist. I smile just as much. But he learned the game from Harvey Pennick. Hmm. I learned it from me. He hits the ball that I never will hit. Here's the point. Because I learned it wrong, tried to unlearn it and relearn it, I lost a lot of space in life. But it doesn't matter how much space you've lost in life. I'm telling you, it don't matter where you came from in your family. It don't matter how they talked about you back then. You've got a new father in your life. There's a new dad in your life. You know it? And he's the new sheriff in town. You hear me? And his name is Jesus. And he wants you to know you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Come on, say, I can do this. I can do this. The second principle I want to talk to you about is an attitude growth never stops. Never stops. Our attitudes are formed by our experience and how we choose to react to them. As long as we live, we're forming, we're changing, or reinforcing our attitudes. I want to show you a story in the Bible. Anybody ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? The old boy that was a, he was a member of the Sanhedrin and he thought it was the right thing to do what he was doing. Notice this. The first time you see Saul of Tarsus, he's consenting to the death of Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts. The second time, watch this now, he's persecuting the saints. And by the time we see him on the Damascus road, he's breathing out slaughterings. He's consenting to the death, he's he's persecuting the saints, and he's breathing out slaughterings. Here's the principle. What you consent to today, 
you participate in tomorrow and then it quickly will consume you. Did you get it? I'm going to say it again. What you consent to today, you'll probably participate in tomorrow, then it'll quickly consume you. So why don't you consent today to a good attitude and participate in that tomorrow and watch a great spirit get a hold of your life. And people will say, what in the world have you been eating or drinking? Say, I've been drinking at the fountain. I've been living for Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you can have a positive attitude in a city that's weird. You can have a great attitude. Come on, say it with me. Amen. There's no such thing as an unalterable attitude. We can change. Little girl was in Sunday school class and the teacher asked her one day, said, who made you? She said, well, God made part of me. And the teacher said, well, what do you mean God made part of me? She said, well, God made me real little and I just grew the rest myself. And God puts enough in us. He puts enough in us that if we'll water that attitude and take care of that attitude and bless that attitude and cherish that attitude, it'll grow to a great attitude. Amen. You can't expect to walk out of here tonight and say, well, I've been changed. Hallelujah. Like them old boys and old brother, where art thou? I've been saved. I'm a new man. You got you to gotta grow in God. You got to go in God. Amen. Life changes. Sometimes change attitudes. Marriage switches. People change mates, lose children, suffer illness, lose jobs, lose homes to floods and fires. Many think they lose their future, but somehow through it all, we must keep building our attitudes. Pavarotti's father told him one day, you cannot sit in two chairs, son. You must sit in one or you'll fall between both of them and wind up with nothing. Life is a choice. Decide to sit in the right chair tonight. Don't try to hold on to both. You'll fall down and hurt yourself real bad. Everybody say, I'm going to sit in the right attitude chair. Point number three, the more our attitudes grow on the same foundation, the more solid it becomes. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That's why we must grow on the right foundation. Reinforcement of our foundational attitudes, whether positive or negative, make attitudes stronger. I love Philippians 4 and 8. It says, whatsoever things are true. Say true with me. But pastor, I just love juicy gossip. It don't have to be true. I just like something that just... Whatsoever things is honest. Wow. All foot. Whatsoever things are just, pure, and lovely, and a good report, and virtue. If it can bring praise, think on these things. Reinforce your mind with positive stuff. Colonel George Hall was a Vietnam POW, and he was a scratch golfer when he was taken as a POW. And he stayed, in, he stayed in confinement for 10 years. And when he got out of prison, out of Vietnam prison, he had done something in his mind every day. He had played a golf course somewhere in the world in his mind. He had walked 18 holes. He had selected every shot. He had made birdies and pars, and yes, he made a few bogeys. 
but not many because he was playing in his mind. He said, I was going to keep myself fresh. I was not going to allow anything to deteriorate that made me the man that I was, and I loved the game of golf. And so he played every day in his mind. He would play a three, three and a half, four hour round, and he would walk in that little old cell all the way to his ball and select his club in his mind, and he would play that. And when he got out, when he got out of prison, he was like 40 to 50 pounds less than the man he was when he went in. And they said, Colonel, what do you want to do? He said, I want to go play golf. Well, you hadn't played in 10 years. He said, it don't matter. I've played it up here. And he went out, got his clubs, and shot four over par on a very difficult course the first time he hit the ball. He didn't learn how to play from me. But I'm telling you something. What I'm telling you, folks, is that I don't care how much you've been incarcerated. I don't care how much hell tries to drag you down. You keep remembering that God is for me. God is with me. Can I talk to you? God's going to lift me up. And when I get out of this dilemma, I'm going to still have the right mental attitude. I'm going to achieve and I'm not going to fail. I'm going to go up. I'm not going under. I'm going over because God is with me. And if he's with me, who can be against me? Oh, somebody help this man preach. Hallelujah. I had a math teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Kempson. I've told you about Mr. Kempson. He never wore deodorant. He always wore short sleeves. He was very hairy. And when, when we had football games, he was the chain man. He was the one that had the first down marker. And we would play games in West Texas where the temperature would be 30, 25 degrees and wind blowing all the time and the wind chill would be zero or five degrees below or whatever. We played in some tough weather out there. He never wore a coat. That man was tough as a boot. And he walked up to me one day, and I, 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 I knew he was coming because the odor changed. <laughs> and he came up behind me, put his hand on me, and he said, he said, son, he liked me. He said, son, you can do math. Listen, you can do life. You know why he told me that? Because he liked math. I had other people say, you know, you can do this, you can do life. But Mr. Kimson put something in me. I said, wow, I can do math, I can do life. George Dancing came into a Stanford class one day that was being taught by a professor named Jersey Neiman. And he walked in late. And Neiman had two problems on the board. And he had already told the class that day that when they got through with their final exam, if they wanted to try to solve these problems on the board, that they could take them home and try for extra credit. But they had never been solved. They were deemed unsolvable. But Danzig was late for class that day. And he didn't hear that those problems were unsolvable. So when he walks in, he gets his lessons, and he looks at these questions on these things on the board, and he writes them down. And he said, sir, I, I saw these, these problems. He said, yeah, go try to solve them, George. Because he promised that whoever solved those problems, even one of them, would be on the staff of the, of the mathematics division of the college for the rest of their life. Because that's how hard these problems were. And Danzig went home not realizing that they were unsolvable. 
because he got to class late. Sometimes it's good to arrive late to negative talking. Amen? Because David came late to some negative talking one time when a giant was out there trying to say, send me a man. And they said, we don't have enough what it takes. And David said, who is this? Who is this? He got there late. I can solve this problem. He said, I don't see how big he is. I see that he's out of covenant with God. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's not. It ain't size. It's what he's not. And David went out with one stone and took him down. Here's what I want to tell you. Danzig took that problem home. Boy, I feel like preaching tonight. He took that problem home and he solved one. He stayed up all night and solved it. And he came back the next morning and he said, sir, I tried to solve two of them, but I, I just got one. And the Neiman was saying, what? He said, I solved one, sir. He said, son, son, these are unsolvable problems. He said, really? He said, you was late, wasn't you? He said, I was late, sir. It's a great story. And Danzig became part of the staff and part of the professor's staff of Stanford University. And later he solved the second problem. And you can read about him. You can Google him and find out about it. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't let anybody tell you anything is impossible with God. Don't you let anybody tell you that. Hallelujah. I can get that job. I can get that promotion. My kids can be saved. My family can go to heaven. I can do all things through Christ. It's about an attitude. It's about an attitude. I can do. Say, I can do all things. You can live for God in this world. You can be a Christian at work. You can make a difference in someone's life. You can have, you have what it takes. Believe somebody, please. Number five, and I close. I'm going to do something here tonight. I'm going to help myself here a little bit. I like what them NBA boys do, you know, them NFL boys. I'm going to help myself because I'm preaching tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and say amen. The fifth thing, there's no such thing as a perfect, flawless attitude. Hello. I fly with Doug Ahart. Doug's my buddy. He's, he's first officer. I'm commander on the flight. But they have, a, they have a thing on the plane called trim. It means to, to balance the plane, the flight. Plane has what they call an attitude. It lets you know if you're going up or down. If I'm wrong, don't look at Doug. Look up here because this is my attitude about it. Things will constantly happen that will challenge your attitude of life. Life brings stuff. And stuff sometimes hurts. And stuff sometimes brings pain and brings anguish. One of the greatest stories I ever told, I'm going to tell it again tonight. I've told it at least four times in this church, but I've got to tell it one more time. An old mule was owned by a Missouri farmer, fell in a dry well. The farmer, realizing the rescue was impossible, decided just to go ahead and bury that old mule in that, in that well. So he dumped a truckload of dirt down the well, and the mule began to stomp and snort. Soon old sad face was on top of the dirt that had hit on top of him, two feet higher than before. After a few truckloads of dirt, the mule just kept 
snorting and stomping and getting higher. Finally, he walked right out of the well. Dirty, but alive and kicking. His thesis was shake it off and step up. Here's what I want to tell you. Everyone has storms, and storms want to wreck your attitude. You've got to continually adjust your attitude, your perspective, adjust your attitude to the demands of life. Remember, God did not make you weak. He did not make you frail. He did not make you easily defeatable. He made you in his image. Lucifer was a created being. The thing that's trying to destroy you was created being an angel. He's nothing but a fallen angel. You were created in the image of God. And God gave you what it takes to stand. He gave you what it takes to get up. He really did. The great Ole Bull was an Italian violinist. And one night, playing in Carnegie Hall, he broke a string on his violin. I'm closing, Randy, if you'll help me. He broke a string on his violin. So he just kept playing. He broke another string. And he broke a third string. And he kind of looked around like, well, looks like it's going to be a long night tonight. He had three options when he broke the third string. Number one, he could quit. That's the easiest option. Number two, he could change instruments and get another violin. But that no sound was like the one he was playing. Or number three, he could just change keys and keep on playing. And Ole Bull decided that he would just change keys and play the song of life in a different key but let the music keep coming. Here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes life makes us change keys but it doesn't have to stop the music. I was preaching and building a church in Dallas, Texas. And we were building a great church in Dallas, Texas. And tragedy hit. And my strings popped on my violin. And I had an option. I could quit. I could throw away the talent that God had given me and get another instrument and do something else. Or I could just change keys. Keep playing the song of life. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. You've got to learn that no matter what hits you and what comes against you, that the song of the Lord is greater than anything in this whole wide world. I love it. I close, a little boy prayed for his grandmother at her birthday. She was 85 years old. This was his prayer. Lord, let grandma live till she dies. <laughs> wow. Don't die before your time. Don't let your spirit die and your body still live. God, please let Grandma live until she dies. 
Let this old house decay. Let it go away. But keep on singing your song. Keep on climbing the mountain of a great attitude. Keep on going forward. I love what Edmund Hillary said to Mount Everest one day when he was defeated trying to climb it. He looked back at it and he said, I'll be back because you're as big as you'll ever get, but I'm going to grow. And I'm going to tell you something. Things that may have defeated you five years ago because of a church of the living God, they're not going to defeat you anymore because you've grown in the Lord. Amen? You've grown in the Lord. You can make things work in your life. Come on, you can make things work. Clap your hands real big. You can make things work. Stand to your feet all over the house. You're awesome people. Stand up all over the house. Is God good in your life? Come on, is God good in your life? Is God good in your life? Amen. That's my prayer for this church. Live until you die. Don't let your spirit, your attitude die before your body does. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news. To register for an upcoming event or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.